in an enterprise, you go out and build a business that's gonna change how people work. So that was really the goal. What happens from there, it kind of takes care of itself. If you take care of your customers, right, you have a great product, a great service, the actual end result for the company takes care of itself. And in fact, this acquisition isn't really an outcome for the company, it's another step along the way. That was Nathan Wenzel. He's the founder of a legal tech company called Simple Legal. And I'm Chad Main, and this is the Technically Legal Podcast, a podcast about legal innovation and legal technology. In this episode, we talked to Nathan about his journey from legal tech startup founder all the way to acquisition by a bigger company. Nathan and his co-founder started Simple Legal in 2013. Simple Legal is a platform for in-house legal departments and legal operations personnel. Simple Legal provides software that helps companies run their legal departments and manage legal spend and resources. Prior to starting Simple Legal, Nathan and his co-founder had a business intelligence company. It was within that business intelligence company that they came up with the idea for Simple Legal. They were working with a lot of legal departments at the time and figured out that many of those departments had no real insight to the work they were doing and the related costs. So they started thinking about putting dashboards together that would help these legal departments keep track of what was going on. Simple Legal is a really interesting story, and I'm glad Nathan took the time to sit down with me. Although his journey isn't over, he has grown the company from idea to startup to raising money to fund growth and ultimately being acquired this year by a bigger company, Onnit. Onnit also provides enterprise software to legal departments. One of the things that makes the Simple Legal story so interesting is that it started at Y Combinator. YC is a highly respected Silicon Valley startup accelerator that invests in startups and provides early stage guidance to these companies. Prior to Simple Legal, there were not too many legal tech companies that had been accepted and participated in YC. It was kind of interesting. I was flying a lot then and was on a plane and thought, all right, I used to, I'd always kind of been involved in tech and I could write little scripts and do things. And I figured that technology was something I'd be good at and in particular writing code. But I didn't really know how I was it trying to get started. So on a plane, I would see people that would sit down, pull up a code editor and just start writing code. And I thought, all right, I should be able to do that. I'm just going to see what these people do and figure out how I can get in because I just, I feel like I'm missing the first step. And there was someone that was looking at TechCrunch, and then he was looking at uh, some of Paul Graham's essays. And so then I basically was just spying over his shoulder and then pulled up Paul Graham's essays, started reading them, thought, oh, this is really interesting. Read through some of the Y Combinator material and thought, oh, this is interesting. We should apply to this program. And then we'll figure out all the reasons why this is a bad idea or we're doing something wrong, and then we'll go do it the right way. Never thinking, well, that a legal technology, an enterprise software, a legal technology company would actually get in. And we managed to get through the application, got to an interview, and then got through the interview and got accepted. And saying, oh, I guess uh, we'll go through Y Combinator then. It was a really interesting process to actually get in. Uh, we went through the whole thing not really thinking that, that we would go through it. Um, and then as we started prepping for the interview, got some help from some other Y Combinator alumni and said, oh, you know, I think we've got a shot at this. And then sure enough, got in, went through the process. It's really interesting. They don't have any secret information. Nothing that they tell you in the program is any different than anything they tell everyone else outside the program. Like there's literally nothing new there. It's just you're in a cohort with other founders and other, other companies just getting started. You have a weekly cadence and they really help you focus on one particular thing, whatever that is for you. The weekly cadence, what do you mean by that? So when you're in the program, it's this three-month program, but you you don't work out of their office. You go there once a week to meet with a partner, to meet with other startups, 
and to kind of talk through whatever issues you happen to be facing. And then there's a, a dinner where they have a speaker. And so that's, that's a once a week process. But really, you're supposed to be focused on your company. And the dinner's for everybody? Everybody in the, that particular class of Y Combinator? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in that class, as they've grown, I think they've started to split it into two different evenings, but everyone gets together. And then just being around a lot of other companies that are at the same stage that you are and dealing with the same problems you are is, is really, really helpful. And you say you didn't expect to be accepted. Why'd you go through the application process in the first place? Well, it's a really good way to focus your thoughts in on, okay, what's the most important thing here, right? What should we be worried about? What should we be thinking about? What should we be focused on? And what should we ignore? And so you go through that application process as a framework to really organize your thoughts. Uh, and so we got through that, got to the interview and thought, oh, this is great. This will be 10 minutes of free consulting from some really smart folks. And they'll tell us every uh, problem with the business. And uh, we'll go out and, and tackle those things. What year were you in Y Combinator? 2013. So you just launched the company? Oh, yeah. We, we launched it in Y Combinator. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, we had the idea for it. Uh, we had started writing a little bit of code. Uh, we did not have a working product going into the accelerator program. Did anything change about your idea for the company from what you envisioned it to be before you went to Y Combinator and then what came out of Y Combinator? Not really. We went in focused on providing software to legal departments not to provide legal services, uh, but to really help them get a handle on their financials and their expenditures, where the money is going, right? And that's really what we came out of there with. Now, in the course of running the business over the next year or two, we really transitioned from a message that said, oh, we'll save you money, because it was interesting, uh, but it wasn't the most important thing to our customers. And so when you're in the program, they tell you, talk to your customers, listen to them. You know, you don't do exactly what they say, but you should talk to as many as you can. And it turns out the most important thing was actually helping them run the department. We were focused with the message on, we'll save you money, we'll save you money, we'll save you money. And it really took a long time for that to, to really sink in that what they really wanted is to run their department. And when you came out of Y Combinator, did you actually have a product, a beta or a working version? Yeah, at that point we had, we had paying customers. And what was your biggest takeaway or what was the biggest thing that you think Y Combinator helped you do developing the business? I think it was the focus and the speed. With that weekly cadence, they continually ask you, okay, what are you doing? What's next? Uh, what are you focused on growing? You know, how is that coming along? That was probably the biggest thing. There's other advice and, and other things that are certainly helpful, but the cadence that really accelerates the speed side of it, and then they staying focused on one thing. There are distractions along the way. You know, it, it's hard, and you always wonder, well, wait, am I am I doing the right thing, or should I change course here? So I'd asked them at one point, you know, this something that we were looking at is this a distraction, or is this uh, is this actually where the business needs to head? And so they they really provided some good advice around that, but it was the cadence uh, which really led to that speed. Going back to the beginning of Y Combinator. Do they give you a template to set up some goals or what's the first thing you do that you're working towards at the end of the three months? The, the things that they say internally are pretty much the same things they tell, they tell everyone outside the program as well. There's, there's really not anything new. There's no secret information. They don't have like a template to fill out of, okay, this is the framework for how you think about these things. And it really started with a conversation and it really starts with, okay, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to actually uh, accomplish here for your customer? How big could this get? Where else could this go? Um, and then what do you need to worry about right now? Because if you think about scaling five years from now, you're never going to get there. So what's the thing you need to do right now? And in fact, they have a, a shirt, a t-shirt that says, do things that don't scale, which is kind of the motto of startups when you're just getting started. 
going to take a second away from our talk with Nathan because I wanted to let you know, for every episode of Technically Legal, there's a dedicated episode page at tlpodcast.com. If you visit these episode pages, you'll have links to some of the stuff we talked about and contact information for the guests. If you want to get a hold of me with any questions, comments, concerns, episode ideas, or want to learn more about my company, Percipient, you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Okay, let's get back to our talk with Nathan. After completing Y Combinator, it was time for Nathan to raise some money to grow the business. So you raise a little bit in Y Combinator. They, they, they give you some, some right? Yeah, they give you some. There's some new, uh, they've changed how they structured that program. Uh, and it all culminates in Demo Day, right? So you go stand up in front of hundreds of investors that are angel investors as well as institutional folks. And you go and, and give your pitch, right? And, and it's a really short uh, I think it's like two and a half minutes long pitch. And there's not a lot you can really convey in two and a half minutes, but you want to get your story down. And you got to understand that angel investors and seed investors, they're they're talking to hundreds and, and looking at thousands of pitches every year. So you have to stand out quickly. Um, but yeah, you go out and try to raise money. There are companies coming out of Y Combinator at different stages. They come in. Used to be that everyone came in without a business or they were just getting started or maybe had six months of time into it. Now you see folks coming in with a couple of years of history behind them already. And basically at that point, you use Demo Day as this catalyst to bring all of this um, investor interest in at the same time. And then you go out and try to raise money. Do you think coming out of Y Combinator gave you any kind of leg up? Oh, yeah. First of all, they're very selective in their acceptance criteria. So there's a certain amount of signal that comes from just getting accepted. Uh, and then the process, which keeps you focused on what's important, just helps. Uh, it helps you avoid all the noise and distractions outside of that process that aren't really helpful to running your business. And then when you come out of there with the Y Combinator stamp of approval, I mean, it, it's probably not terribly different than graduating from a, you know, a top tier uh, business school or technology school. So you come out of Y Combinator, you start raising money. How much do you raise in your seed round? And when was that? <laughs> So we raised in the top half, but if you were to look at the headlines, you would think we were somewhere near the bottom. There are, there are some companies that come out and just raise millions of dollars without even trying, um, and, and that's certainly interesting. And I, I, you know, I know some of the founders that did that, and they've built amazing businesses. We came out of Y Combinator and had raised uh, a few hundred thousand dollars uh, in total, uh, which is very different than the headlines that you read about companies raising millions of dollars. So we did not have, as we came out of Y Combinator, a really investable business at that point. Um, Why not? We came into Y Combinator without a functioning product. Uh, we exited with paying customers. Um, what were they paying for? We finished the product during the three-month batch and managed to sell and get customers. But it wasn't a repeatable process yet. Um, we were visiting customers. They would buy for different reasons. They, they were interested in the product for different reasons. And it was a different process every time. And so um, as we got toward the end of 2013, we said, okay, we don't really need to raise any more money. We can just go out and finish out some of the features we need to finish out and really just focus on getting customers. And so you had enough money to do just that or at least sustain yourself for a while? I think because we were second-time founders and we had a reasonably healthy exit from our last business, we were able to pay ourselves very, very little. So the company had a low burn rate. And then personally, we, we tapped into our own personal savings to everyday living expenses. So you focus on sales, you focus on developing the product. Yep. How long does this last before you actually go out and try to raise some, some money? I guess it would be an A round. So today people raise on something called a safe. Then they didn't have safe. So we raised on convertible debt. And so we stopped then and didn't actually raise the seed round. 
Uh, and so we focused on sales and started acquiring customers. It was slow at first. Again, they were, we were really going out with the wrong message. And we're not unique. Our, our sort of tale of, of struggle and woe is, is pretty common. Um, but it took us about two years. So from the middle of 2013 until the middle of 2015, uh, it took us about two years to really get things to a, a place where we were reasonably happy. And then maybe in the end of the third quarter of 2015, uh, so close to two and a half years after we started, we raised a seed round. So you didn't raise a seed round out of Y Combinator. It was a couple of years later because then yeah. you raised your A round in 2017, which yeah. we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Once we hit 2015, that's when we kind of had felt like we had things figured out. So 2013 came out of Y Combinator. Really, we were not growing the way that we'd want to grow. And even the, the slow growth was, it was basically just a lot more work than it felt like it should have been. And so we marched on for two years without really feeling like things were really clicking the way they needed to be. Once we got to the end of 2014, we hit a little bit of critical mass with our customers. We started getting the messaging right. We started talking about the product the right way. We were building the right things. And in 2015, we hired our first employee. So it was just you and your co-founder until then? Yep. And so you say your messaging wasn't right until 2015 into 2014. What was the message at the beginning that was wrong? And what did you figure out was the right message at that point? Yeah, so we were up until then, we were focused on we'll save you money, right? Buy our software and you'll save money. Yeah, we definitely do that. Uh, we do that uh, actually quite well. And our customers tell us all about how much all the money they've saved. But what companies really wanted was a better way to run their department because they didn't have visibility into what they were working on, where the money was going. They didn't know how to talk to the CFO or the CEO in the same way that the other leaders did, right? The other leaders around the table can talk quantitatively about their business, but legal never really had that ability to speak quantitatively. They could talk about some big lawsuit. They could talk about some big M&A deal. But if they had to provide hard metrics, they just really didn't have the tools. And so once we started focusing on that and focusing on legal operations as a way to run your legal department, then the message really started resonating and general counsel really realized, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. They need to focus on protecting and growing the company. And then they'll use simple legal to actually operate and run the legal department. So what kind of investors did you have in the seed round then? So in the seed round, we had um, a great investor, Rincon Venture Partners, led the round. Um, Sousa Ventures was, was also a co-lead in that round. What we were looking for were folks that were operators before. We were going to go out and do things to build the company, and we wanted to work with people that had built companies. How much you raised in your seed round? We raised a little over $2 million in the seed round. And so from 2015 to 2017, you got your seed money. What are you doing? What are the next steps before you get to that A round in 2017? Yeah, you know, from, from 2015, we closed the seed round uh, toward the end of, of 2015. We raised the A round at the beginning of 2017. It's so about 18 months. Uh, really, it was just focused on acquiring customers. We were building out products, adding customers. Uh, we had managed to build kind of a mini brand, a little kind of mini reputation, partially in technology, um, a little bit because of where we are in the Bay Area, but also outside of tech in other more traditional industries, consumer product, finance, even biotech and pharma. We started getting a lot of traction. And so really, it was just customer acquisition and continuing to build the product. At the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, you say I hired your first employee. What was that role? It's a developer. Yeah, middle of 2015. So into 2016, go start raising money in the A round. How many employees did you have and what functions did you have there? We actually managed the fundraising process for the A quite well. We didn't start raising until 2017. Uh, so in 2016, we were really just focused on acquiring customers. We were 
I think about six employees at the end of 2015. And then we got to about 15 employees at the end of 2016. So you had sales by that time? Yeah. I mean, we had 15 people by the end of that year. So we had a, a little bit of sales. Marketing? A uh, little bit of marketing. Yeah. We were just really getting started. We had some of that. We were putting some of the first people in place. Laura, who runs marketing for us, joined in 2016. Shortly after raising the, your round A, you wrote an article, which is on LinkedIn, and I'll put mm-hmm. a link to it on the episode page for this. Yeah. But one of the things I took away from it is you maybe didn't really need to raise the money because you had a growing, viable business. Yeah, we had revenues um, growing fast. But you still went out and raised money. Yep. And you said the lesson is build a real business instead of just going out there and raising money. Is that, is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. So raising the A round was very different than raising the seed. There were various parts of the process that we learned from and fixed. And then the most important one was we had built a real business. I mean, we were acquiring customers. Uh, we were getting inbound interest from companies that wanted to to use the software. And so we were growing fast. Uh, we knew how to tell the story around what we were doing. Legal tech was still pretty new to the world. I don't think anyone was necessarily looking to go and disrupt legal tech the way they might be looking to disrupt marketing tech or sales tech or or fintech. Legal tech was still a new thing. There was still a fair amount of education during the process, but we'd built relationships um, and we had built a business. So then when we went to those folks we had built relationships with and said, hey, we're looking at raising money, you know, we can go ahead and present. A good number of them said, well, We'll look at your deck, but we already know you. We've, we've been talking together for several months. And so let's let's talk about where you're headed and let's focus on that. And so it was a very different process from the time that we officially started pitching until we had term sheets uh, was was about 30 days. 30 days was just quick, which is yeah. really cool. But you, you've already alluded to the fact it maybe wasn't 30 days per se because you started developing these relationships yeah. probably years or year, at least a year prior, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So our first phone call with uh, with Santi at Emergence Capital was as we were closing the seed round. And so Emergence led the A round for us, and we were really excited to work with them. Uh, but my first phone call with him was during the seed round. So what do you say on those calls? If, you, if you're not trying to raise money from them at that point, what do you say? You know, it's a fairly common thing. Yeah. I mean, VCs, they they definitely specialize in optionality. So if you're if they're going to pass on you now, they're not going to say no. Uh, they're going to want to stay in touch. They want to continue to learn about the market. And they're looking for, especially in today's market, something that's tougher to find than money, uh, which is growth. They're looking for that opportunity, right? Which companies are growing, who's doing well, who's out there executing. And so if you can maintain those relationships without getting distracted from your business, you know, you get a lot of cold outreach where folks want to grab coffee and they say, oh, we've, you know, we've heard about you in the market. It sounds really interesting. Can we grab coffee? We try to avoid that. Uh, but you stay involved in the folks that you've had a good, meaningful conversation with. And you just keep up that relationship. And then when it's time to actually start working together, you are very comfortable with that person and they're very comfortable with you. You mentioned you didn't really need to raise money because you're a viable business. Yeah. But you still went out and did it. Why? For growth? Yeah, well, it was for growth. It was to go and accelerate growth. And also for some of the team that we wanted to hire, um, it's a different story to be backed by a VC like Emergence, which specializes in, in B2B SaaS. Um, it's a different story to be a Series A company as opposed to a seed stage company with really good revenues. Uh, and so when you look at what you're trying to do at that stage, you want to have folks around you that have done it before. So when you look at scaling, our goal was, well, let's go talk to some people that have scaled a lot of businesses and let's go partner with them. And it made a lot of sense. And we're actually, I mean, I'm really happy that we worked with Emergence. So you raised the 10 million bucks in 2017. Yep. What'd you do with that money? 
What was the, what was the plan for that money? It was similar to when we had raised the seed money. I mean, it was put the money to work in terms of growing the product uh, and also um, at that time growing the team. And so we hired in folks around sales, around marketing, around product, uh, around customer success. And so really building out that team so that we could scale the business. And we put it to work to go out and grow. And, and we, we grew significantly from there. Before I sat down and talked to Nathan, I took some time and read some articles he'd written. I found a really interesting one on LinkedIn he wrote about raising money. I'll include a link to that on the episode page at tlpodcast.com. But one of the points Nathan makes in his article is that because he founded a legal tech company, when he went out to raise money, he spent a lot of time educating investors. Investing in legal tech wasn't so sexy and wasn't as prevalent as it is nowadays. In the seed round, there was definitely a lot of education, right? We started telling people about what we did and they'd say, oh, like LegalZoom? And we'd say, well, no, not, nothing like LegalZoom. LegalZoom is documents and it is a lot of great things. But what we were really putting together was software to run the legal department. And I think possibly because venture capitalists have experience with legal, they might have a general counsel on staff or they might have a law firm they go to. They'll say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we spend a lot of money on legal, but I don't get it because we just go to our firm and they kind of take care of us. And we say, well, yes, this product is not for you. And they'd say, well all right, let me ask some of my friends. And they would talk to their friends who might be at law firms, and we'd say, well, yes, but this product is not for them. And so there's a lot of education, and legal operations had really not taken off, and it was definitely a challenging market to raise into because no one really had a good amount of personal experience uh, in, the, in that world. Uh, there's not a lot of angel investors coming out of legal. And because law firms have a particular set of rules around who can own them and they can't be public, it's not really creating this ecosystem of early supporters and early investors. So fast forward to 2019, and Anand approaches Nathan and his Simple Legal team about acquiring the company. So I asked him if when he founded the company, he had the goal of being acquired. I don't think you start with any particular end goal in mind, right? In the enterprise, you go out and build a business that's going to change how people work, right? You identify an opportunity. I mean, we saw what the old incumbents were doing when we were in our consulting firm. And we thought, well, it's really silly that our customers, our clients are paying these folks millions of dollars, and in some cases, tens of millions of dollars. Then they turn around and pay us a pretty healthy sum of money to make sense of that data. So we believe we go out and build software that actually worked. So that was really the goal. What happens from there, it kind of takes care of itself. If you take care of your customers, right, you have a great product and great service, the actual end result for the company takes care of itself. And in fact, this acquisition isn't really an outcome for the company. It's another step along the way, right? We're still investing in the product. We're still investing in the team. And so we're still out to do what I set out to do at the beginning, which is to change how people work. And so we're out there, you know, I'm, I'm excited to head to New York and Boston a little later this week to go visit with customers and bring customers together so we can talk about, you know, how they do their work and how they run their departments. How did the acquisition talks come about? Had you been talking to them for a while or you knew them from the industry or? Yeah. It's a good fit. It makes sense. But, but what was the genesis of all this? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, we weren't looking. In fact, my first conversation with Onnit was in 2013. One of their founders had reached out. And so we had a chat about kind of what we were doing. And we we're both doing kind of slightly different things then. And, you know, didn't think a whole lot of that conversation. I uh, thought that they were some really smart people doing really great things. But, you know, you sort of stay focused on your own business and you keep going. And then um, as we got into 2018, 
K1, the VC PE firm that had invested in Onnit, had reached out to us prior to making the investment public and just thought, oh, okay, these are interesting people. They've got an interesting take on how to do things in the world. And again, just kind of didn't think much of it, stayed focused on the business. And then uh, in, I think, December, they had reached out, or December, January, reached out and said, hey, I don't know if you saw, but we made this big investment. Do you want to get together and, and kind of talk about it? I thought, oh, you know, sure. Always interesting to, to learn some new things. And that was when those conversations started. So they brought it up and said, you know, shared their vision of, of what the future ought to look like and said, oh, okay, this, this could be interesting. Let's have some conversations, but it'll, it'll just be that, right? There won't, nothing will come of this. In fact, I didn't think anything would come of it. Just figure, all right, it'll be interesting conversations. And, you know, maybe someone's trying to mine for information here, but, but we'll have some conversations and see where it goes. I really liked talking to the folks I talked with at K1 um, then had a chance to talk with Eric Elfman, CEO at Onnit, and explained his vision. I explained my vision. I thought, wow, this is, this is someone that we could work with. And that's really where it started. So I know they're different, yep. but I feel like there's some similarities. So I want you to talk about both mm-hmm. between raising money from VCs and other investors versus the acquisition process. The similarities are you're trying to convince somebody to give you money. Mm-hmm. But there's differences in the end result and what happened. So what are the things that struck you most about being different or what is stuff that was the same in those process? Yeah, I mean, in both cases, you're you're talking about your vision for the future and you're talking about your growth that you've had to date, but you're really more focused on, okay, how are we going to execute go forward? Right. If a VC that's going to invest in a series A, B, whatever is going to put money into you, they might look at your past, but only insofar as it's evidence for the future, right? What they want to understand is what's the future going to look like? What could this be, right? VCs are either looking for reasons why something won't work, in which case you need to figure that out and move on as quickly as possible, or they're looking for reasons why it might work and how big it could be. And so that's that venture investing side. From the acquisition side, you know, it's very similar, right? depending on the type of acquisition. There are some acquisitions where somebody just wants a piece of technology or they want to buy the customers or maybe they want to more or less acquire the team. Those are, I imagine, all very different conversations. But when they're when the conversations are focused around growth, it's, it's a similar process. They want to understand what you've done in the past because it's evidence of what you can do in the future. And then they want to understand what's your view of the future and how big could this be? The difference here is that K1 had already made an investment in the space. They already had a particular thesis around the market. Onnit was obviously heavily invested in the space, uh, you know, growing up in the ELM world and putting together workflow software uh, with a focus around the legal department. So they already understood what the market could become. And so we had to talk about you know, what that could become with us and what new opportunities that created and how the combination would create something new that would be better than just the individual pieces. Why did you choose to go the acquisition route versus just trying to raise more money to continue to grow? Yeah, so the choice to go for the acquisition, it was interesting. It was not something we were targeting. It came up and the timing worked out. We actually had to put some investment talks on hold. And it was really because the things that we were going to do with money that we would have raised would have been to go and build products and capabilities and build into a market that on it was actually already serving quite well. And so we thought, all right, well, we could go out and build that product and continue to expand in that area, which would have been a really exciting path. And I think we would have done quite well at it. Or 
we can basically accelerate ahead 18, 24 months and partner up with a company that already has those things. And then we can stay focused on our core market and not have to go out and build out a bunch of outside pieces of functionality into the product. And so that was really the exciting part is the areas that we were going to go, that's where on it already was. And the areas that they were going to build into were the areas that we were. And so it fit together really well. Um, in fact, during the process, when we were looking at kind of overlapping areas and overlapping opportunities of, of companies we were talking to, there wasn't a ton of overlap. We definitely fit to our core customer bases really well. And then we find that someone that's going to be, they're going to need what Onnit has. It's great. They're a great fit there. And if they're going to need what Simple Legal has, they're a great fit with us. And bringing those two companies together is what really was exciting about pushing forward the vision that we had of we want to change how people work. And so this was the really exciting part that it just let us accelerate by, you know, 18, 24 months, the path that we were already on. And so what is the future for Simple Legal now that you're part of a bigger organization? Yeah, you know, we still go out and invest in the product. We still go out and invest in, in customers and the relationships with, that we have with the customers. So to continue to grow the product, to continue to stay focused on the legal market, that's probably one of the areas that's different between Simple Legal and Onnit. Onnit is building software to create a better way to work. A lot of that focused around workflows that can really be tailored fit and custom fit to companies. It ends up being a really good fit for large enterprises and folks that need to have something work in a very specific way. With Simple Legal, we take an approach toward being very focused on the legal department, being focused on best practices. You can configure our software to do quite a few things. We've got workflow that you can configure. We have paths to route expenses and approvals and workflows and all of these things. But we believe that legal should work a certain way. You can configure the software, but we definitely believe that you get the best user experience, you get the best adoption, you get the best ROI if you follow a set of best practices. And so we put that software together and, and that story really hasn't changed since we launched. So what is 2019 Nathan tell 2013 Nathan about what he's learned <laughs> and what not to do? Yeah, you know, I don't know if, there, if there's a what not to do. There's always various things, but everything that you put together is what got you to where you are. And so any lesson that you could accelerate past is probably something you needed to learn. A lot of it, it's just going to be hard, right? When, when people ask like, oh, what's the secret and how do you do this and how do you do that? Well, there's really no substitute for hard work. Sometimes you got to put your head down and, and just get to work, stay focused on those things. Um, anytime that we had looked for, oh, is there is there some way around this here? It's really just hard work. So staying focused on the hard work is, is really all there is to it. The interesting thing is I've gotten to know CEOs and founders of a lot of other companies, both inside legal and, and outside of the legal world, is the challenges and struggles are not unique. Um, everyone's got their own kind of pain point, but everyone's got their own story at the beginning of, uh, I think Airbnb called their, I think it was their thousand days of darkness. Everyone's got their story at the beginning of uh, that they struggled through. I think it makes you stronger and it gives you the context to deal with the challenges that come ahead. Well, Nathan, I appreciate your time. If people want to get a hold of you, where do they find you? So we're at simplelegal.com. On the site, on our blog, we have a ton of great educational content. So for folks looking to learn more about legal ops and really where they should take their company and what the future needs to look like for their company and their own career, the blog that we have at uh, simplelegal.com is a great place to go. So that's a wrap. Another edition of Technically Legal in the books. If you want to get a hold of me, 
You can email me at cmain at precipient.co. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc., etc. If you like us, I hope you give us a favorable review. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this has been Technically Legal.